The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. This program is designed to discuss trends in real estate investing, promote financial literacy, and learn how to create financial freedom for your life. Get the hottest tips from experts in real estate investing and more. Now, here's your host, Lori Wetzel. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. And the real stands for real estate investing and financial literacy. Today, we have a very special show, all focused on commercial real estate. You know, that's what I really love about this business, just being able to talk about different facets of real estate investing. And of course, the key to that is being educated. So a little bit about the show, it is designed to reach open-minded individuals who are willing to explore opportunities in real estate investing and financial literacy. So real estate isn't just about buying and selling houses. It's really about creating a lifestyle, wealth, and freedom coupled with empowerment and accountability to do what? To make a difference in this world. That's critical. I'm sure many of you listened to the debate last night. Gotta tell you, not pleased with either candidate, but it is what it is. What we can do as individuals is to do our part. Now, this is typically the show format. We'll cover what's hot in real estate now. We'll have celebrity guests, authors, and entrepreneurs We'll also cover financial literacy, and we also have favorite quotes and Q&A. So today, what I'm going to do, we're going to change it up a little bit. We are going to start with our main guest, uh, who is Christian George. Let me share a little bit about Christian's background. So Christian is a seasoned and licensed title and escrow officer in Ogden, Utah. He has been for over 10 years. Now, Christian learned very early he wanted to become involved in real estate investing. So he actually secured his license at the age of 18. He sold houses over the summer, and then he returned to college in the fall. Now, he also had his dad. Uh, to help him, who was a real estate agent, but he knew very on this was the path that he wanted to take. Now, the beautiful thing about this is, is that as a licensed title and escrow officer, he has many years of experience. He has closed deals from as little as $2,000 all the way up to $25 million. So he's got experience with all the players. He coordinates buyers, sellers, attorneys, banks, professional institutions. 
He has it all. And you know what? He has a good heart. He's very passionate about real estate investing and supporting others who want to do the same. Christian, welcome. How are you? I am fantastic, Lori. What a pleasure to be with you today. I'm so excited that we can chat a little bit and and share some of uh, some of what's happening out in today's real estate market with you and your audience today. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. So now let's just start with the basics, okay? What is the difference between commercial real estate and residential real estate in terms of generating revenue? Sure, it's it, that's a great question and a great way to a great place to start our conversation today. What I find is I travel around and I have an opportunity as an instructor who teach real estate investment and 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 as I as I travel and talk to people, there's a lot of apprehension about the term commercial real estate and and what it really means. And at times we find out that you know there there oftentimes isn't a lot of difference between regular real estate and commercial real estate, and it's really how we view it and how it fits into our portfolio. But to start with just the basics and what we commonly see in practice is, and this ties a little bit to give your your audience a little bit of the background, it ties to the way funding comes into real estate transactions. But what happens is we see that typically investment properties or properties that we acquire that are for residential housing, if they are four units and below, they can be considered residential or single family or primary primary dwelling, sometimes duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes fit into this category. And it fits really into the type of financing that we look at for government-insured loans like FHA and V loans. Typically, if there are four units or less involved in the property, you can procure what you would call residential or primary residential living financing for that through, through lending institutions. Now, when we look at apartment units that have five units or greater, that's one of the big transitions where we move into what people would consider commercial real estate on the borrower's side. But really, we can look at, as I mentioned before, for our portfolios, commercial real estate being raw ground, being large apartment complexes, being storage unit rentals. They could be any type of investment that is really, truly real property. And what really dictates to how it, how we apply it in our business or how we make it valuable to us is how it fits into our portfolio. And that is, that is the result of questions and conversations with our, with our uh, team members such as, such as our accountants and our attorneys as we're doing our structuring uh, for the transactions and how we want this asset to produce revenue for our portfolio and moving forward. But the real basis of it is a commercial real estate property can be any real estate, real property, whether it has housing units on it or not, whether it has any buildings on it or not. Again, it could be raw ground that we're holding with the purpose of generating revenue, either through appreciation in the market or through direct income. And we intend to make gain or produce a profit as we exit that property in the future. And it really is tied back to that idea of how does it fit into our portfolio. And we'll talk more about that as we go on today. Okay, perfect. Uh, it's a perfect place um, to to hold that thought because um, as I was listening to you, do you recommend that commercial real estate 
is for novices, uh, seasoned investors, anywhere in between? Is it simply that you resonate with commercial real estate? Or do you recommend that, you know what, maybe you should uh, maybe get something under under five units and do a couple of deals first or really, or it all depends upon education. What is it? That is a great question and probably my favorite one because it absolutely totally all depends upon education, where you feel comfortable and how it works for you. But my biggest advocation, the best advice I can give to anyone who's considering making real estate investing a part of their portfolio or part of their wealth generating system is to get in where you fit in meaning that you get in wherever it is comfortable for you. So but let's take, for example, these multifamily or multi-unit residential properties. Maybe, say, let's look at a fourplex. Now, the great thing about buying it, if, if you as an investor are willing to live in one of the units in that property as you go out, well, that becomes personal finance. There are some great financing opportunities. You can qualify for government-insured loans like FHA and VA loans. You can get into them with much less down payment. You can also have some great incentives towards your interest rate. And even though there might be four units in that building and you're living in one of them, by default, you've become what I would consider a commercial real estate investor because you're a landlord. You have Mm. tenants now in your building and you collect rents. You start to have to worry about insurance and the obligations that you have, not just for your building, but the renters and the insurance you want them to carry, how you're going to protect yourself and your assets. And so it, that's a great place to learn. Now, would I say, what if we kicked over and, and that same building, instead of having four units, had five units, but you mm-hmm. were still willing to live there? That might be a great fit, and there's no reason that you should shy away from that if you were willing to do the same building with four units just because of that term commercial or large-scale building because you can have the same power if you're educated and, and are willing to take the time to learn what you need to do for that particular property, meaning... Do I need assistance from a property manager? Can I handle it on my own? Is this where we want to be? What's maybe most important? What's my exit strategy to get out of this property in a year, two years, or five years? Then there's no sense in missing out on a fantastic commercial opportunity just because it's a commercial building. And if this is a good time, I'd like to share one of my early early stories about how I got into the commercial side of things, if that's okay. Sure. Go ahead, Christian. Okay. Well, one of my first deals, it's a really fun story. As, as you mentioned, my father was a real estate broker. It was a family business. I had my brother, older brother, who was a licensed agent. I was a licensed agent. Both my younger siblings, as they came of age, became licensed agents. And my dad had the opportunity to sell to a couple partners out of town a very nice mixed-use building. It had 18 apartment units and commercial on the main floor. And their goal was to get it. They bought it with some seller financing and then they each put in, you know, about $100,000 and, and had the seller carry the balance of the transaction. So they did what we call a creative acquisition, but they mm-hmm. did it on a beautiful building that was on the historic registry and had wonderful potential. And as they went in and began to rehab this building, they would change out carpets. They began to work together as partners. Well, it sometimes happens in partnerships things started to not function so well. The partners didn't like like working together as much as they thought. And one partner came back to us, and my father in particular, and said, hey, I need out of this building. I need you to sell it. And, and so 
we as a brokerage firm had started to work on finding a potential buyer to come in. And the problem was is the other partner loved the building and didn't want to sell it. But we kept trying to create a solution for them. So this continued every couple months. He would stop back by our office and, and he would tell us, hey, you know, you just got to get me out of this building. I can't drive here. I don't want to take care of the tenants anymore. I just need out. Well, it, you know, the problem was is when you have partners, you have to come to an agreement. And they could never come to an agreement together. So we came up with another creative solution. We said, would you be willing to sell your position in the building, not sell the building in its entirety? And this gentleman was open to that idea. So it was at that time that I approached him. And I said, hey, I'm a young man. I'm 25. I don't have a lot of liquid capital, but I know your building and I know the business. And I would love, love to help you out because I know you want out of it so bad. So this is what I began to formulate with him. I said, what I could really do, and I did a lot of research, I, you know, just having graduated from an expensive university just on the south side of Chicago there. You guys are, you guys are in my old stomping ground. I love the south side. I attended the <laughs> University of Chicago, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So, okay. I, you know, it, I had a price tag on my education that I was still paying for, so it didn't leave me a lot of liquid capital. But I approached him, and I said, you know what? I know you've got a substantial down payment in this business. I can't give you what you paid for it, but I would buy, I would buy your position and become the new partner for your old partner. And I would take it over, and I would do this for approximately $60,000. I think that's what I can do. And even more than that, I need you. I don't have this cash, so I need you to become the bank for me. I need you to write me a note and I'll sign it, and I'll pay you interest for what you're lending me in the time. And, and he was pretty excited because he felt that this money he had invested in this building was not giving him any return at all, actually costing him money. So all of a sudden, even though I, I bought his position at a discount of $40,000, I was starting to give him 6% return on his money. So he got really excited about that. He says, you know, 6% is better than nothing. So we put the terms of the note together, and started, I started with this, his old partner to work on this building. Well, over a year's time, we came up with about another $100,000 and rehabbed each of the units and filled up the building, got full tenants in there and put some commercial tenants on the main floor. And two years later, we decided to place the building on the market. And we, within a short amount of time, got a couple of full price offers on the, mar- on the building. So as these two prior partners had purchased the building, they had each put about a hundred grand down, the building was worth about a million dollars. We came in, we did the rehab on it, I took out the position, put in a hundred grand, so we were into the building about a million one and we sold it for about one point four million dollars. So after we paid commissions and it was a little bit more than one point four, but after all the numbers we netted about three hundred thousand dollars. And sure enough, I took that money that I owed the gentleman who sold the building to me and I put him right back paid him, gave him his interest. He was super happy. He could then take that money and reinvest it in other real estate and elsewhere. The, the new partner and I, we had a pretty amazing experience together. We found out that we worked well together. We filled our building quickly, and we sold it at a profit. So we were happy. So well, Christian, the, the, the key, go ahead. I've got, a, I've got a break, so you can finish up when we come back. But the key to this story is you were 25, you didn't I was. Have, I was young. I was young. You were young, and you didn't have the money, and yet you were able to come up, come up with creative acquisition with the position and not the building. So you can finish the story when we come back from break. Um, 
so to stay tuned, listeners, I have Christian George. Also, I, I'm going to bring on Ed Kurtz. So just sit tight, Christian, for a minute, because when we come back, Ed is also part of our Chicago community. And I know that you have ties in Chicago as well. Because I want to hear a little bit from Ed as well with regards to what's hot on the retail side as far as commercial real estate. So sit tight, listeners. We'll be back with Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Do you find yourself working tirelessly to keep your business going? Are you finding out that you don't have time for family, friends, any kind of personal life whatsoever? It's time to stop feeling trapped by your business. Tune in to Reclaim Your Freedom with host Shirley Dalton. You'll hear from guests that will help you work on your business instead of constantly in your business and get your life back while the business keeps running and humming. Reclaim Your Freedom airs live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. This is Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. To reach Lori with questions or comments, please send an email to Lori at meetlauriewetzel.com. Again, that's Lori at meetlauriewetzel.com. Now, back to Keeping It Real. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel, real estate education, investing, and financial literacy. Our subject today is commercial real estate investing. It's all about those commercial properties. And so today, I have two guests with me. You've been listening to Christian George, who is a real estate investor uh, instructor, as well as a seasoned title and escrow officer. But I also want to bring on to the show today, because he is near and dear to my heart in the Chicagoland area, Christian also has ties to Chicago, as you heard him mention earlier in the show, but I'd like to introduce Ed Kirch. Now, Ed, who is also in the Chicagoland area, he has been creating partnerships and managing property, purchasing selling real estate since 1977. He is the CEO of Kirch Property Management and Sales. He finds homes, does research markets, uh, negotiates contracts, 
really loves what he does. And he also has a special interest in commercial real estate. Ed, how are you today? I am fantastic. Oh, thanks so much for joining. This is such a fun show for me because being able to discuss this area of real estate investing uh, with a focus on commercial property is key. You don't often hear people talk about commercial real estate. So what's hot in the Midwest? I know you're based in the Aurora area, suburb of Chicago. What's hot in the Midwest with regards to commercial real estate? What I'm finding right now, the bigger buildings are selling very, very quickly as long as you have a realistic cap rate. And you can make money on them, but they're not, they're not like a killer kind of deals. I'm finding right now the smaller deals, the two, three, four, five, six unit buildings are the ones that people have had for 20 years, 30 years, they're getting out of and that they're cash flowing really nicely. Very so, so where do you find uh, these individuals? Because it sounds to me like these are motivated sellers. They're ready to retire, maybe transition to a warmer climate in the U.S. And so um, are you finding these deals, the four, the four, five, and six units, are they fully tenanted already? And they're good deals. Give give me some more. Give me an idea uh, about that. Some of the best deals you're gonna find is if you're looking for rent ads and you see people that have it for rent, and you talk to the owner, you'll find that the owners are in trouble because they they're just tired of managing. They're not making money anymore. They've got massive vacancies. So those are the ones you go into. You may do a little work. You may fill some vacancies. And you get it at a discount because the owner has problems and they just want to get rid of it. So okay. those are just calling for rent ads. It's one of the strategies that we've learned with Loretta. And, you know, people that got for the rent signs up, call them and ask them if they want to sell. It's simple and very productive. Okay, so one strategy that you use today is you simply call if you see a for rent sign and you have a conversation with the owner and you simply ask them straight out, hey, are you willing to sell this property and then engage in a conversation that way? What's another strategy that one might use? Once you let people know that you're buying, people will come to you. It's just like if if you do the same market area over and over again, and, you know, you start talking to all these people about, you know, selling, and even if they don't, also they start passing your name to other people or you that your friends know, some of your best referrals are going to be your best deals because they're pre-MLS. People, you know, just that they'll sell it to you direct. They don't they mess with it. It's really easy. Okay, so another strategy is referrals, and then you also mentioned something about pre-MLS. So why is that important? Tell our listening audience about that. I am a real estate broker, and I can mm-hmm. sell you property off the MLS. Mm-hmm. But most of my investors buy property that are not on the MLS because they get better deals. The cash flow is better, et cetera. A lot of the stuff on the MLS is overpriced. The realtors listing them don't know what it's worth, so they just pick up pick a number and the seller likes the number because it's a high number, so it sits on the MLS forever, and it's just not a good deal to make out, make money on. Okay, so the best deals are what you say are before they hit the MLS. Is that correct? Most of the time. 
or if you get a deal on the MLS, if it's there more than two, three, four days, it's not a killer deal. Because if it was a killer deal, somebody would have made an offer on it. <laughs> so move quick is what you're saying if it's a killer deal. Yeah, if, if it's, it's on the MLS. If it's on the MLS. Okay. You, you know, you need to look at it and make an offer 24, 48 hours from the time okay. it goes on the market. And then one last question uh, before I let you go today. Is there a minimum cash flow that you're looking for per door in the Midwest? And, of course, this is going to vary geographically across the U.S. But let's just say for the Midwest, for example, if you're saying it's killer cash flow, what exactly does that mean? Give me some numbers. You know, we just bought a house, and our mortgage, PITI, is a thousand fifty a month, and we get fifteen fifty for rent. So it's five hundred dollars a month for maintenance and management and profit. That's a pretty, for a house. That's an awesome cash flow. Uh, we just bought a three unit. The mortgage is going to be about eleven hundred dollars a month, and the rent's going to be about twenty five hundred a month. Now we're going to have expenses on there, so you know it's still probably going to cash flow five six hundred dollars a month after everything. Okay. All right. So, so it's you know, it just depends. But you know, I don't do it per door. But I guess if I was doing it per door, I would want a minimum of a hundred dollars profit per door, and that's taking out maintenance, vacancy, management. Even if you do the maintenance yourself, even if you manage yourself, I still take that out. And you want to take out all your expenses, taxes, insurance, utilities. And you, you, the biggest problem I see that investors have is they cannot do the numbers. You know, I've got two investors right now in, my, in the other room just practicing numbers so they can learn to do numbers because that's the hardest thing is doing your numbers right and making sure you're going to make a profit. Ed, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Ed Kirch with Kirch Management and Sales. Really appreciate you for, um, chiming in today on our radio show. You guys have a good day. All right. Take care. Okay, bye. All right. Christian, are you still with us? Awesome. Hey, thanks so much. You know, Ed is in the Midwest area and the Chicagoland area as well and has loads of experience. And, um, you know, what are your thoughts on what he was sharing? Some of the terms that he mentioned as real estate investors yeah, we know what PITI means, principal interest of taxes and insurance. But some folks, are, you know, they're like, uh, well, I'm not really clear on uh, doing the, the numbers, what the jargon is. And we're going to get into that a little bit as well. So your thoughts on commercial real estate in terms of doing the numbers and what's the minimum cash flow that you would look at? Is it based on risk tolerance or is it uh, a recommended number that you would recommend in terms of cash flow per door? I, I think it's a combination of both. What a great question. And, and, you know, Ed had some really great information because he gave a couple of different examples of, of projects that even though they didn't provide maybe stellar statistical numbers, they did provide decent cash flow. You know, $600 when all said and done on 300 on a three-unit building, you know, 200 bucks a door. That's an okay number if it fixes and fits into your portfolio. That's kind of the big question. One of the other terms he used pretty frequently was discussing a cap rate. And a cap rate is a tool that we use in commercial real estate to kind of analyze 
how quickly our investment returns money to us. So say, for example, we purchase a property for a million dollars, and after expenses, it generates $100,000 a year. That gives us 10% of our investment back in that year's time frame. So that would be a 10% cap rate. Um, so, you know, it, it, again, sometimes that 10% cap rate is a really good thing, um, and sometimes it's not so good, and a lot of it is tied to risk tolerance that you just mentioned. And so, you know, it, it's it, risk and cap rates flow with the type of investment and the type of property that backs them. So, for example, when we deal with cap rates in large apartment units that have maybe 300 units, it's a complex that's you know, there's because it would take so much for all of that to fail, it's a much lower risk, and therefore that cap rate returns. Or you would get a smaller percentage money of the money you've invested back on a yearly basis. But they're very, very popular because they are so low risk. You find, you know, real estate investment trusts, large companies, hedge funds, they'll all look at large apartment buildings with lower cap rates because the risk is low and it's a very dependent investment. Now, as you go into, you can determine cap rates for anything, but if you went into, say, a business like a restaurant, a restaurant has a much higher cap rate, and I'm not talking about just the real estate, but a cap rate on a, a restaurant business might be as high as 35 or 40% because it's such a high-risk business, an investor wants to see, you know, if he's buying it for a large sum of money, he wants to see that investment return quickly so his risk is reduced. And so when you talk about those cap rates, it's really finding what's appropriate for your risk tolerance threshold, your portfolio, and then what cap rates are going on, what the par rate for those particular type of cap rates are in your market. Cap rates for multi-unit apartment buildings in Chicago are going to be different than what cap rates are for multi-unit buildings, say, in Southern California. And it may not be a tremendous difference. It may be, you know, just half of a percentage point, but that's a tool that's very easy to calculate that we can use to do some quick research. And when I teach, one of the things I share with people is that everybody tends to fear math, but math mm-hmm. is our friend, especially, as Ed mentioned, you got to practice the numbers. But most of the time, you never deal with more than two or three numbers, and you never deal with anything more complicated than addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. If you can do those four things, you're in business. You don't need complicated calculators or, you know, spreadsheets or tables doing anything for you. For most of the information out there we're looking for, we can take information from a real estate flyer for for what the neighbor tells us, and we can engineer and find out what the cap rate would be for that property and how to use it. Cap rates are one of my favorite things because they're so versatile, and there's only three variables that we're looking for. And we can use those and manipulate those three numbers um, to give us a lot of different information. We can use a cap rate to determine price. We can use a cap rate to determine how quickly our money is returned to us from our investment. It can also help us, if we have appropriate information, determine what the operating expenses are on a property. And it's just how you do that math that pulls it together. But it's a lot of fun and and a really easy tool to learn, but one that people are really afraid of. I think cap rate is the is the terminology that most scares people away from commercial real estate because it's something they don't understand. 
and it's something really easy. It's just a it's just a number that tells us how quickly we're getting back our investment or our money from our investment. So remember that analogy. A million dollar building that after expenses pays us a hundred grand a year, well that has a ten percent cap rate, so I'm getting ten percent of my money back in that first year. It's great a, a great formula to use because Really, when we do real estate investment, that's what we want to know, how quickly that investment is generating a return for me and either bringing cash flow or equity back into my portfolio. Cash flow and equity, that is so true. And you know what? Understanding cap rate, understanding your math and running the numbers also leads into our next subject. So when we come back for break, we're going to talk about due diligence. How do people start? Due diligence is a general term, so I want to break that down a little bit. When we come back from the break so people can have a really good understanding of where to begin looking for properties and how to begin their due diligence. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Christian George, a real estate instructor and a dear friend of mine. We'll be back from the break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you feel overwhelmed by money? Not how much you have, but how to talk about it? We face financial decisions every single day that can change the game for us. Listen for Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. You'll learn more about what you can do with your money and ultimately what it can do for you. Don't cower under a rock about investing in personal finance. Talk about it with your family, your friends, and more. Listen every Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Where are you financially? Did you know that nearly three-quarters of U.S. consumers have less than $1,000 in their retirement plans? No matter what stage of life you're in, listening to The Steady Investor can help. Hosts Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery, along with their guest experts, discuss what you need to know to warm up that nest egg. It doesn't matter when you start, you just need to start. Tune in to The Steady Investor, Thursdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. To reach Lori with questions or comments, please send an email to Lori at meetlauriewetzel.com. Again, that's Lori at meetlauriewetzel.com. Now, back to Keeping It Real. Welcome back, everyone. You're with Lori Wetzel on Keeping It Real 
REAL stands for Real Estate and Financial Literacy. My guest today is Christian George, a real estate instructor, and we're focusing on commercial real estate. Now, before we go any further, I had made a promise that we would tie up um, the story that Christian shared with us at the beginning of the show. I'm simply amazed that at a young age, at under 25, working with his dad, uh, dealing with a mixed-use 18-unit building with commercial on the first floor, having partners, the dad having partners, and then, you know, after a while, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of tired of this, don't want to deal with this anymore, and him not having the money, because that's, that's such a misperception, people will say, I don't have any money to do real estate. And Christian said, you know what? I know your building. I don't have a lot of cash, but what about selling your position, not the building? So that's exactly what he did. He created a note. He offered a 6% return investment on that note. And he was able to work with those partners to be able to get the building rehab. Building eventually, after a couple of years later, was worth $1.4 million. He was able to earn $300,000 net. But this is the type of deals that you can do in real estate. So, Christian, I promise that you'd have an opportunity to finish your story. I'm just amazed you were under 25. That's awesome. Isn't that a fun story? And and that's why I always share, I like to share that story. I don't always share it, but it's one of my favorites to share because it really lets people know that, you know, no matter what your position, whether you're cash rich or cash poor, whether you have a lot of experience or don't, if you have a little bit of faith and some drive and really believe in yourself, you can go out and create everything. And so to continue on with that great story that we were telling, well, when, when the new business partner and I put that building on the market and decided we wanted to continue, I still love that 300000 I had to pay back that $60,000 note to the gentleman with his interest, and we did that. So it left us about 240000 cash. And I went to the partner and I had done a good job and he had done a good job. And I said, Hey, you know, we did pretty good here. Would you be interested in doing some more? And he said, absolutely. Let's make it work. So instead of, you know, dividing just up our cash at that one time, we used a tool called a 1031 tax deferred exchange. And what that is, is it's a special way to defer capital gains taxes on real estate investments using what they call as an intermediary and that in your in your closing process. And that intermediary allows for you to take that capital and reinvest it. So that's exactly what we did. We took $120,000 from our $240,000 and we went and found another commercial building. It was really quite similar to what we had already owned. There were no apartments in it, but it was a large commercial space with multiple tenants. It was in disrepair. We needed to rehab it. Um, but we became pretty proficient at it, so we went in and bought it. And we made the owner of that building kind of the same offer we made the, the owner of the apartment building. We said, listen, this building you're selling, it's worth about a million dollars. We've got a hundred grand to put down. If you would like to finance it, we'll, we'll pay you a fair market rate of return on your investment. We'll buy it. We'll take over all the obligation and uh, do that. And so we did it. And so all of a sudden, we had another million-dollar building but we still had $120,000 cash in our coffers. And so we mm-hmm. did that same process again. 
we went out and found a completely different commercial building that had some retail but was a lot of warehouse space and about the same scenario. It was about a million dollars, and we went to him and said, hey, will you finance this if we put 10% down? He said yes. And so all of a sudden, at the end of this transaction and in just over two years' time period, we had gone from having no asset and no money to owning over $2 million in real estate at comparable terms, and we did it. I did it without any cash. And I did have a partner in the deal, and, you know, we did the same thing on those buildings, went to work. But the, the idea behind that is what a story to go from not using any of your own money to having, you know, assets worth over $2 million, equity positions that are strong in each of them with the, with the ability to go in and rehab and do some more. It's available and out there for anybody who can, who, who can think and spend some time and, and work it out. And so it's, it's one of my favorite things to share with people because hopefully it inspires them to say, you know what, no matter whether I'm, I'm heading in towards retirement and just know I'm needing more money or I'm, you know, just out of high school or college and just starting out and I know I want to, I want to secure my financial future with real estate, there's a way, there's a pathway, and, and anybody who's got a little bit of know-how and a little bit of time to, to spend on it can make something work. So it's, a, it's my pleasure to share that story, and I love to do so. You know, Christian, a uh, couple of thoughts as, as you finished that story. My first thought was duplication. Duplication is key because you paid off the note at 60000 You had 240 left. You divided that in half. You took that with the 1031 tax deferred exchange. You were able to acquire additional real estate. It was duplication. But here's the other thought that I had with that. Wealthy individuals think differently, and wealth isn't about how much money you have in a bank. Wealth is about a mindset. And so what I have found, and especially in listening to you today, that employees or W-2 folks, it's nothing wrong with that. I mean, everybody, you know, at one point in time has worked a W-2 job in their life, but employees use cash as currency. Wealthy people, entrepreneurs, people who think differently, they use leverage as currency and cash as velocity. Because it's exactly what you did with your net proceeds. You did that, reinvested, you duplicated your success. That came from a wealthy mindset. Because you started out with none of your own money. I think that is such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. That's really true. You talked about mindset, and that's really, you know, a lot about it. Is it's, You just have to start with the belief that I can. And, and when we talk about the differences between commercial and residential real estate, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of people believe that they can't do commercial because they don't know it or don't understand it. And that's not the case. Um, you know, it wasn't my very first real estate deal, but it was, it was one of my first. It was an early one in my career and definitely one of the largest up to that point. But I tell you what, I'm so glad I did it because it was a, it was a catapulting or a launching point for me in knowing how big and how fast I could really go. And it was so much fun to learn and do as we went. And it wasn't, you know, we made some hiccups and we could have done a few things better. But in the end of the day, we did our math and we made it work, which was really a lot of fun. 
it, it kind of reminded me of what you mentioned as we talked a little bit about before the break, a little bit about due diligence. You know, that's one of the things I find really important in, in real estate investing. Yeah, let's talk about that. So how do you find the right commercial investment? How do you do that? And part of that is being able to do due diligence. Now, um, just start off with a little bit because we've got two minutes to break. So I'll give you an opportunity after the break to uh, go into detail. But due diligence is such a uh, general term. I'm sure there are lots of steps associated with finding the right properties and doing your due diligence. Absolutely. So when we come back from bake, we'll talk a lot about that. But specifically, we're looking in kind of two main areas of due diligence. We want to know what is going to impact us cash-wise and make sure that if this is a, if we, when we're dealing with cash, we have to track the money because that's where we want to focus and money pays our bills and make sure everything works. And on the second side, we want to, we want to assure ourselves that the asset really is what it is. Because the beauty of real estate is because our investments are always secured by real property or backed by real estate. And so even though the cash flow might be great on a particular place, if the asset isn't there, we're not in good position. And vice versa, if the asset's great but there's no cash flow, it may not be the right property for us. So that's what we'll talk about when we come back. Perfect. You know, that sounds great because with when you said the asset really is what it is, you made me think about how some uneducated investors, they may make a decision to purchase based on either emotional factors or sentimental factors, and they really, really haven't nailed down the asset to determine is it what it really is or Are you foggy because you have some sort of emotional or sentimental attachment to it? So I'm really glad that you mentioned that you've got to take a hardcore look at your cash, the two areas, your cash, and then the assets itself. So we're going to come back after the break, and uh, we're going to cover the due diligence. Uh, Be back in a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your marketing going? Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Not so good. What could you be doing wrong? You spent a lot of time and money on your marketing tried to follow what other successful people are doing, and yet your business marketing plan is still coming up short. Try something new. Tune into Extreme Exposure, the power of personality marketing with host Jackie McClinigan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It just might work for you. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. 
Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. To reach Lori with questions or comments, please send an email to Lori at meetlauriwetzel.com. Again, that's Lori at meetlauriwetzel.com. Now, back to Keeping It Real. Welcome back with my friend, Christian George, real estate instructor. So we're discussing finding the right commercial investment. And then how do you do your due diligence? Christian mentioned two areas, cash, make sure it's flowing appropriately and that the asset is really what it is. So Christian, take it away from there. You got it. So we were talking, let's first start on the asset side. When we look at any commercial investment, we want to make sure, or any investment really at all, this applies to residential and commercial, the asset value needs to be there because that's what's securing our investment. So basically, we want to find out what the property really is worth in its current state and in the current market. So where do we look for information like that? Well, I hate to tell you, but one of the best places is a dying treasure that we have in the United States, which is our local libraries. They are full of information, and oftentimes it will be pertinent to the, to the areas in which we work. They oftentimes also will have access to computers that give us access to tax records and all kinds of information that's available through the county recorder's office or the assessor's office. Another great resource is the Board of Realtors, because oftentimes they'll provide market trends and statistical information on what's happening in the market where that asset is placed or located. And so you can go out and find out if a commercial apartment building is typically selling for X amount of dollars a square foot and this one is selling for less, that might be a great buy. On the other hand, it might go the other way and be priced out of market as well. Sellers are always, whether it's a commercial property or residential property, they have what I call the personal love bias, meaning they love their property more than anyone else. And so they always believe that their property is worth a little more than it really is. And I'm guilty of that, too. When I went out and sold my buildings or when I sell a property, I always think, man, I should be able to get this because I put so much hard work and sweat into this property. And really, the market is and the market does what it, what it does and it tells us what it's worth. Another great resource is your local title company that can pull abstracts or property reports on the property. Utility companies can provide information on actual energy consumption, how much energy is a building using, and then we'll know whether it's efficient or not. Are there problems with water if they're consuming too much water for what's there? And then as we mentioned earlier, like the Board of Realtors, there's builder and trade associations that can have information on property areas too. So when we go out and we compile that information, we can get a really good fill and we want a real accurate opinion of what the building is worth in the market because that's going to take us over and prepare us to do the, the cash flow analysis or what I call the, you know, really the performance of the property. And we start this by using some really simple tools called pro formas or profit and loss statements. 
and they're just like they say that they are. When you're estimating expenses for a property, you include anything and everything that would cost you to run or manage this property. So we look at the utilities, we look at insurance, we look at property taxes, all those kinds of things. But we also need to remember that repairs and maintenance are part of that program, as well as any additional improvements that are required to bring the building up to code or make it marketable or sellable. So one of the things that we need to to remember when we create or go through this process is we need to be all-inclusive of the expenses and really attach them to that property. So when we look at generating a profit and loss statement or that cash flow statement, we want to know how much money that property brings in on a monthly basis or on an annual basis, and then we want to take all of the expenses away from that on a monthly and an annual basis. We look at it both ways so we know what it is, and they'll be the same numbers, real simple. You just multiply them out, but what Mm -hmm. it lets us know is it gives us the metric that we can see how much money is going to be left at the end of the year, if any. Now, are there times when we would buy a building or a property that doesn't isn't profitable from a cash flow standpoint? Sure. We'd look at it if our asset, if we do the real research on the real estate side and find out that the asset is undervalued, even though the cash flow isn't there, it might be a good property to purchase and get there. The other, the other side of that coin, there is also a depreciation potential for commercial properties, which is fantastic. There are opportunities to have tax shelters and, and really create a great return on investment when we get into commercial property. But it all starts with really simple math. you got to start with adding up everything that it costs to operate the property and subtract it from the gross income into the property to give you a net profit number or a cash flow number. If you have those two numbers and you know that your asset is what you're expecting it to be and your cash flow is sufficient enough to make sure that you're not dipping into your own cash flows to do it or your reserves that you don't have allotted for this particular project, any, any property has potential. And we go back a lot to this, but you never know that little dry cleaner around the corner that closed down a couple years ago might be the perfect place for a new daycare center. And if you are creative and can solve the problem for that seller, you might be able to do a win for them, a win for you, and create a great scenario. So don't close your eyes to commercial just because it may not feel familiar or may not be right. It's the exact same process you use when you're evaluating commercial property as you do residential property. It's all about the numbers and the asset, making sure both are in place. So, Christian, our our show is closing. You have given such phenomenal information. Very quickly, three top secrets, and I call them secrets, but in essence, you've shared one already. Make sure you do your due diligence. That's the first thing. Very quickly, what are two more things that you'd want to look at in the area of commercial real estate? Make sure the biggest problem people get into is they are undercapitalized. So when you're taking a project on, even if it's bigger, it seems you know like it's not generating cash now, but you know that you want to go that direction, just make sure you have enough in reserves and you build yourself a little bit of a cushion. The and the next, third thing? The, next, the, the third thing, never turn away a property and not do some investigation and reports because you never know when you're going to find that diamond in the rough that everyone else has passed over. It might be just right for somebody you know or for your personal portfolio. Christian George, seasoned title and escrow officer uh, out of Ogden, Utah, real estate investor and instructor. Thank you, my friend. This has been a wonderful show. Take care. 
so good to be with you, Lori. And I can't wait till I see you again in person next time I'm out in Chicago. We're going to dinner. You got it. Take care. <laughs> Have a great All- day. All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. That's it for today. Let me close out with one of my favorite quotes. It's it's actually uh, representative of a phrase in Butu. It says, I am because you are, and you are because I am. We're connected, folks, in this world all across the universe. Love you. Thank you for being a listening audience in our show. And then until next time, keep it real. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning into Keeping It Real. Be sure to join Lori Wetzel again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Central, and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. We know you'll learn something new every week, so we'll meet here again soon. Until then, focus on keeping it real and live a life of success.